Amen, amen. Thank you, young ladies. Thank you. Wasn't that beautiful? Wasn't that a beautiful act of worship? Amen. You know, it's good to have, uh, it's good to see old friends from time to time, and uh, I'd like to introduce some old friends. Not, they're not old, but uh, we've known them a long time. In fact, I've known Craig since he was just a, a young child in, in Phoenix. Um, but they're here with us today. Uh, they come from Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, Craig and Christy Bowler, and Craig is the lead pastor at Sanctuary Church in, in Atlanta, a wonderful church, and uh, Craig's going to share with us today from God's Word. You know, we've been, uh, so I want to just welcome you. Won't you stand up? Let's greet them this morning. Craig and Christy Bowler. We're looking forward to hear what uh, God has placed on his heart. But you know, we're in the midst of our, our campaign, What on Earth Am I Here For? And uh, we're looking at the purposes that God has for our lives. And uh, the first purpose we discovered was worship. Uh, God created us to, to bring him pleasure. As we, and everything we do is an act of worship, or should be an act of worship. Then last week we talked about the sense of God created us to belong, the sense of fellowship, to become a part of God's family. And today we're looking at the theme of discipleship, uh, where God wants and created us to grow, to become more and more like Jesus Christ in our lives, in our attitudes, in our actions. And uh, so we want to watch just before Craig comes up to, uh, to share with us this morning. Watch this video. It's our crop cam video. And... Uh, some of you may be on the video. What do I do to get closer to Jesus? I definitely get in the Word and try to walk like He walked every day. Through prayer and reading His Word, especially what He uh, said in the Bible, and trying to follow it. On my way to work, I turn off the radio and have complete silence and just talk to him. I read the Bible and pray to him every night. I get closer to Jesus through prayer, um, just talking to him every day. We like to sing and definitely pray together through dinner time. Um, just really just be with each other. Right, girls? Mm-hmm. I would do unto others as I would like for them to do unto me. I come to church and I, and I make a new friend. I come to church to worship Jesus. Pray and daily devotions. I'm praying in daily devotions and every day reminding yourself and others that Jesus is good. Well, having three toddlers, I'm screaming his name. Lord God, help me. Give me strength. Jesus, be with me. Be my rock. These kids uh, give me a lot to lean on him for. Through prayer and through praise, worship together as a family, and we make sure that we offer um, him praise for all our uh, blessings, and and especially each other and our good health. And doing everything every day to glorify his name. Right. I think it's just by sharing his love with others that they can see Christ in you. Thanks. Uh, it's an honor to be with you guys. Uh, my wife Christy and I were able to worship here uh, a couple years ago, and to be able to share this morning from God's Word is, uh, is a real honor for me. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, 29, and 30. If you have your Bibles, Matthew 11, 28, 29, and 30. 
Uh, as Major Lum said, uh, my name's Craig Bowler. I'm the pastor at a church in Atlanta, Georgia. And so I just want to bring you greetings on behalf of our tribe there in Atlanta. Um, we, we're in a great church. Our church is a total mess. I was telling Major Lum earlier this morning, we've got all kinds of people in our church. Um, I, I, our church is six years old. We started um, our church and we're, things were going pretty well for the first little while and then people started to get honest and people started telling the truth and I came home one day and I said to my wife this is terrible (laughs) this I don't know what's going on but people in our church like did you know there are people in our church that were addicted did you know there are people in our church who have had an affair did you you know there are people in our church whose marriages are falling apart or whose kids are in my wife said, yeah, isn't it great? And I said, great. No, it's not great. And she said, it's great that people for the first time are recognizing their need for Jesus and are being authentic about it enough to say, I want to grow in my relationship with him. I don't want to just hide. I don't want to just pretend. I don't want to just play church. I want to grow to become like like the person he created me to be. and I want to I grow to become like Jesus. And so this morning, uh, as Major said, we're going to continue in this series that you started a couple of weeks ago called What on Earth Are We Here For? And specifically, this idea of discipleship. How do we do this? What does this look like? What does this sound like? You and I are created to become like Christ. Think about that for just a second. You were created to become like Christ. One of the reasons you were put on this planet is to become like him. Paul, uh, the writer of many of our New Testament books, says that we are to be conformed to the image and character of Christ. That's good news. That God's at work in you and me to conform us, to change us, our character, the central part of who we are. To, to be more like him, to be more like his character. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, 29, and 30, Jesus is preaching, Jesus is teaching, and one day Jesus invites people, he, he sort of extends this staggering and yet very simple invitation. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's talk about that for just a second. Honesty time. So in our church, we kind of have to say that up front. Because I don't know what it is about our church, but sometimes the people in our church lie. Like sometimes when, when you ask them how they're doing, we say, how's it going? They go, fine. Well, well how's everything at home? Oh, it's It's good. It's kind of like talking to your uh, teenager, you know, when they come home from school. What'd you do at school today? Nothing. How'd it go? Fine. Sometimes in our church, people don't always tell the truth. So today, we're going to commit for the next 30 minutes to tell the truth. All right? So, So here we go. First question. Anyone here tired? Anyone tired? Anyone carrying burdens? So Jesus says to you and me, if you're tired and if you're carrying a heavy burden, come to me because I'm the one 
and I'll show you a whole new way of living. And I'll show you a whole new way of loving. I know some of you guys are physically tired. It's really early. We're kind of physically tired. We traveled from Atlanta and the time change and all of that stuff. But let's go a little bit deeper. My wife and I have been married for 28 years. We met when I was 16. And we've been together ever since. And there have been great seasons in our marriage over 28 years. And there have been some really, really hard seasons. And we can point back to one characteristic that has been consistent in all of those hard seasons. You know what it is? That characteristic? It's not that we don't communicate well. We communicate pretty well. It's not that we don't handle our finances well. We steward what God's given us pretty well. Intimacy, it's pretty good. You know what the one constant struggle that we found in our marriage when times are tough when times are the toughest it's it's when we're tired it's when we're just weary because when you're weary you don't communicate well and when you're weary you spend money on stuff you probably shouldn't spend money on because you're you're trying to cope you're trying to make yourself feel better and when you're weary intimacy is sort of a different deal I don't know what it's like around here, but there's some people in our church that are weary from trying to do everything right. There's some people in our church who are weary from trying to hold it all together. There are some women in our church, some moms in our church, who are weary of trying to meet every expectation that culture says that they should meet as a good young Christian mom. Come to me, all you who are weary, and all of you who are burdened. Any of you burdened? I don't, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what makes you tired, and I don't know what burdens you carry. But Jesus says, come to me. Come to me and unload them on me. Jesus says, come to me and, and I'll give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You and I were created to live that way. You and I were created to live that way. Easy yoke, light burden. The invitation from Jesus for you and I is to learn in this life, to grow as a disciple, to learn how to live and love from a place of rest. No more striving, no, no more hustling for worthiness, no more trying to prove how good you are or how spiritual you are. Jesus invites you to come to him, to be his disciple, to learn how to live in love from a place of rest. Think about that invitation. You don't have to manage it anymore. You don't have to control it anymore. You don't even have to fix it anymore. You can learn to live from him. You can learn to live and love from a place of rest. I think about all the things that I try. I think about what wears me out. I think about what brings me down. I think about the heaviness of the problems that my kids face. Or the problems in our church. And that kind of wears me out. Those burdens are heavy. And Jesus says... If you'll bring those to me, those are my problems to solve. I'm I'm just inviting you to live lightly and freely. Those are my burdens to carry, not yours. 
we have problems in our church. We've got problems with our kids. Uh, my mom has Alzheimer's. Man, Alzheimer's. Dude, that stuff is a mess. I don't know if you know anyone that... My job is to live and love my mom from a place of rest. God's job is the outcomes. My job is to just be faithful. I, 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 I tend to get worried about stuff. And Major talked about confessing being fearful. Worry and fear and anxiety. That's not the way that Jesus called us to live. And when that starts happening to me, when I start to get worried about our church or I start to get concerned about there's a voicemail on my phone from that guy and I'm going, oh my gosh. I start to get worried even looking at his name because I know it's going to be heavy, you know. God's job is to take care of that outcome. My job is to be faithful. God loves our church more than I do. God loves my kids more than I do. God knows what's going on in my mom's mind, even though no one else does. My job is to be faithful. My job is to love. My job is to trust God with the outcomes, to let him take care of whatever he wants to take care of. There's a writer named Eugene Peterson, and he wrote a paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. And that verse that we just read, Matthew 11, 28, 29, and 30, Eugene Peterson puts it this way. I love this. Listen to this. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life, Jesus says. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, Jesus says. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. When Jesus started teaching, when he started preaching, people were magnetized to him because of what he was saying, because of what he was doing. That he was teaching this new way of living and this new way of loving. The people of God, the church people, had gotten so lost in their religion that they were missing out on this relationship with, with God. This relationship that God desired to have from the very beginning of the world. What on earth am I here for? An intimate and personal relationship with the creator of the universe. All through Jesus' ministry, he just kept talking about this revolution of love. Where poor people would be cared for, where sick people would be healed, where bound up people would be freed, where lost people would be found, all through this, this revolution of love. One of the things that I love most about Jesus is that Jesus was always hanging around with sinners. You ever notice that? Jesus is always hanging around with sinners. I love that about Jesus. The sinners were the ones that the church people sort of looked down upon. And yet it seems like all the time Jesus was hanging around with those guys. I don't know why this is, and this may not mean anything to you. But in the last year or so, in my own journey, this idea that Jesus loves me as sinner has really freed me up 
In fact, I think I've fallen more deeply in love with Jesus, recognizing that he loves me as sinner. In fact, I don't know that you can really fully grasp how much the beauty of Jesus loving you as saint until you can get your heart around the fact that Jesus loves you as sinner. Jesus offers us sinners this new way of living. And he says, hey, hey, I I see where you're at. I see right where you're at. I see that sin that that you keep doing, that you keep thinking about, that no one else knows. And I I see you there and I love you there, but I want to teach you a new way of living and loving. I want to teach you to live freely and lightly, he says. So watch how I do it. And I'll show you, I'll teach you. If you will follow me, listen how I pray. Serve the way I serve. Care the way I care. Forgive the way I forgive. I'm not going to lay anything heavy on you. Jesus says, I'm not going to wear you out. I'm not going to wear you out. I'll, I'll lead you. Your job is just to follow. I'll lead you. A disciple is one who follows a specific set of teachings or a specific ways. A disciple is one who follows a rabbi. You guys know, you probably know that Jesus was a rabbi. And his disciples would come and sit and they would listen and they would learn how he does things and how he says things and how he touches people and how he listens to people. And the disciples, they weren't like everybody else. They were, they were called and they were, they were drawn in. They got to have a little bit of a closer look at Jesus. They were his followers. They weren't just his fans. They weren't just fans of Jesus. They were his followers. Uh, any of you guys, uh, any of you guys watched the Olympics last summer? And have you watched the Olympics? There was this girl in the Olympics that I became a fan of. Her name was Simone Biles. Anybody watch the gymnastics? I think we have a picture of her. This girl right here, like, she tore it up in, in gymnastics. I mean, she was like the most amazing gymnast and she won all these gold medals and a bronze medal. She was fantastic. And I became a fan of Simone Biles. I cheered her on from the bleachers. I think what she was doing in the Olympics was amazing. Uh, But let me just say, I'm not getting up on any parallel bars like she did. I'm not doing that vault thing. I mean, I'm a fan of Simone Biles, but I'm not a follower of Simone. I'm I'm not signing up for any classes on how to be a gymnast. But there's a little girl in our church who wants to be like Simone Biles. And she signed up for some classes at the local gym academy. And her mom is paying for her to have a trainer, teacher. Had a, she's training to become an Olympic gymnast like Simone Biles. In our church, back home, we have a lot of fans of Jesus. We have a, a lot of admirers. Lots of people who cheer about Jesus. Lots of people who even sing about Jesus. But I don't know what it is. We have very few people that are actually devoted to Jesus. That actually care like Jesus. Who pray like Jesus. Who serve like Jesus. Who forgive like Jesus. We have lots of people in our church who identify themselves as Christians... But we have few people who identify themselves as followers. You know what? It's one thing to be a fan. 
It's something else to be a follower. So let me just ask you, how would you characterize your relationship with Jesus? Are you a fan? Or are you a follower? 268 times in the New Testament, we hear this word follower or disciple. Jesus calling people to be followers, calling people to be disciples. Do you know how many times in the Bible we, we find the word Christian? Two. 268 times we hear about being a follower, about being a disciple. But only two times in the Bible do we hear about this word being a Christian. Jesus calls us to be a follower, to walk with him, to work with him, to watch how he does it, to learn the unforced rhythms of grace, to keep company with him, and we will find rest for our souls. And then Jesus says to this little group of followers, he says to them, hey, I want you now to go and make other followers. I want you to go and make other disciples. You guys probably know the Great Commission. After Jesus was crucified, after he resurrected, he spent 40 days on the earth before he ascended. And just before he went to heaven, he ushered this, what we call the Great Commission. This is Matthew chapter 28. If you want to look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20, just before Jesus ascended, he said to his little group of followers, he said, go make other followers. Listen to what he said. Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go make disciples. Go make followers. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teach them. Show them how to do it. Show them how to obey everything I've commanded. And surely I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. Now that we've accepted his invitation and we're learning how to live and love from a place of rest, Jesus charges us to go out and engage other people. Go make disciples. Go, go help other people learn how to live unburdened and worry-free, weary-free kinds of lives. And to bless, to bless each other and to care for each other. Teach them how to, teach them how to serve the way I serve. Teach them how to care the way I care. Teach them how to pray the way that I taught you guys how to pray. You can hear Jesus saying. We had a prayer class at our church we had this sign-up sheet, and we said, hey, if you want to learn how to pray, come to this class. And then we had another class. It was like a Bible reading class. If you want to know how to read God's Word, then sign up and come to this class. And lots of people came and signed up, and they came to the class. And the class was good. It was okay. The class was okay. You want to know the best way to teach someone how to pray? It's not to get them to sign up for a class. The best way to teach somebody how to study God's word, it's not to talk them into signing up for a class. It's for you to invite them to your house and for them to sit down at the kitchen table with you and for you to say, hey, I, I'm still learning how to do all this, but I want to show you how I pray and I want you to follow me. I want to I show you how I study the Bible and, and, and then I want to teach you how to study the Bible right along with me. I want, I want you to do it like me. I want, you to, I, want, I, want you to, I want you to pray the way that I'm praying. I want to teach you how to do that. I want you to care the way that I care. I want, to read, I want to read four verses to you real quick, and I want you to see if you can find what's common in these four verses. We're going to start with 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. 
See if you can find the commonality in these four verses. First verse, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Philippians 3, 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Thirdly, Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then fourthly, 1 Corinthians 4, 16, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. All right. So somebody tell me, what's the commonality in those four verses? Somebody tell me. It's okay, you could, you could tell me. What did you, you get? Imitating. Imitating who? Imitating Jesus. So what is he saying? What, what, what are all these verses saying? Imitate. Yeah, do it like me. So what if at the end of the service today, what if Major Lum came up here and he said, Hey everybody, you guys know me. I've been around here a long time. I helped get this ministry started. If you want to know what it looks like to serve the way Jesus served, if you want to know what it looks like to care the way Jesus cares, if you want to know how to pray the way Jesus prays, if you want to know how to love your wife as Christ loved the church, then I want you to do it like me. What would you guys say? Would you go for that? I tried that at our church. You know, and people were like, what? You want us to do what? We want us to do what? It'd be pretty cool if Major did that. Well, okay, well, what about, we'll leave Major, we'll leave Major out of it for just a second, because that's kind of his job. He's the past. What about you? What if you went to your office or to school, to your classroom, and you're investing in someone? I'm sure you have a friend with someone, you're friends with someone. And you said, hey, man, listen, I love you and I'm for you. And I could tell that you're weary and that you're burdened. And here's what I want you to do. If you want to know what it looks like to love like Jesus, if you want to know what it looks like to serve the way Jesus served or care the way that Jesus cared, then I want you to do it like me. I want you to do life like me. I'm going to imitate Jesus. I'm going to follow him. And as I follow him, I want you to follow me. How many of you guys would be willing to do that tomorrow? Would you be willing to say that to somebody tomorrow? Anybody? Why not? Why not? Let's talk about it. Let's just be honest, right? This is honesty time. Why not? By the way, when I asked our church this question, same thing happened. Like two people raised their hand. And they didn't even know what they were raising their hand. <laughs> why, why not? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you do that? Let's just talk real quick. Uh, we only have five more minutes and then I'll be done. Why not? Why wouldn't you say that? What do you think? Well, because we, we, we feel like because we're sinners and we're, we're not like Jesus, so we don't feel like, like we, we have a right to be this. Yeah, exactly. That's the way I feel. Like, wait a minute, I'm a, I mess stuff up. Like, my kids are messed up sometimes and I don't love my wife well sometimes. But, but, but what if it's exactly that to which we want people to follow? Instead of, inst- we have this perception that we want people to get everything right and we have to get everything right in order for someone to follow us. What the world needs to see is what happens when we get it wrong. 
They need to learn grace from us. This is what grace looks like. You know what? I totally blew it. I'm going to be totally honest with you. There's some stuff in my head. Oh my gosh. And you say to that person that's sitting at your table, I totally blew it. And because I blew it, I'm going to teach you now about forgiveness. I'm going to teach you now about grace. And man, let me just tell you, that's when following Jesus blows wide open. We think that we have to get it perfect in order to be his disciple. It's not that at all. In fact, there's greater power in vulnerability than there is in invincibility. To be able to say to somebody, man, I just messed this up and I hate it. I know that you're afraid to mess it up. I'm afraid to mess it up. But our world is messed up. And they need to know that there's a God who loves them even when they mess it up. Our world, our church, my church, they need to know what grace looks like. My older daughter just graduated from college. And she came home a couple summers ago. And she said, Dad, man, I'm really struggling. And she's crying. She's sitting at the, t- she's sitting at the counter. Uh, I have two daughters. And um, my daughter's crying. She's, Dad, I'm really struggling, and I don't know how to tell you this. I said, all right, tell, tell, what, what's up? She goes, Dad, I, she went to a Christian college, by the way. She said, Dad, I, I have real doubts about God. Like, I really, Dad, I really doubt and I was like, that's okay. And she goes, well, what do you mean it's okay? And I said, well, I mean, it's not okay to stay in your doubts. But it's okay if you doubt. And she goes, Dad, do you ever doubt? And I'm thinking, how does my kid not know that I doubt? And I said, Adele, I, I doubt sometimes. Sometimes I don't know how this all works and sometimes I don't know how this all figures. I'm not exactly sure how this all, you know. What I did get to say to her though is sometimes people with great doubt are often the people that also have great faith. And people with just a little bit of doubt probably just have a little bit of faith, you know. And she said, Dad, what else? What else do you struggle with? And I was a little bit nervous to tell her because some of what I struggle with is hard, you know. But the more I told her, the more that she kind of felt, wow, dad, I didn't know that you studied, you struggled with this stuff. And it actually freed her up. And now we have this really cool relationship where we're learning together what grace looks like and what grace sounds like and what to do when you doubt and what to do when you struggle and what to do when you celebrate when things are going, when things are going really, really well. A lot of times we're, we're so, uh, private we don't want to tell anyone but the reality is that jesus loves you as sinner just as much as he loves you as saint i have one more picture that i'm going to show you before i close this kind of way of living for me i can't do it by myself and this picture is of uh, two guys um you might know uh the guy there in the middle that's major brian saunders he used to be the salvation army uh, pastor, corps officer at the Kaluela Salvation Army uh, near downtown. And now he leads the Salvation Army Training School in Los Angeles, California. And then that's my buddy Ivan Wild there. He leads the Salvation Army in the northern California part of our world. 
And these two guys, these two guys, these guys are the ones that have showed me how to pray. These two guys, they have taught me how to read God's word. These two guys have taught me how to deal with doubting and how to deal with loss and how to deal with anger and resentment and betrayal. I'm not sure that it's possible to be a disciple on your own. In fact, Jesus brought 12 guys together because there's something about being with other people on this journey, this real journey, this this truth-telling journey that simply can't happen on your own. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. These two guys, they care about my soul They know what happens when my soul is well. And these two guys know what happens when my soul gets weary. And we sort of have this funny phrase that we say to each other every once in a while. You guys ever heard of the Quakers? That uh, religious group called the Quakers? The Quakers have this phrase that they say to each other. They say, how goes it with your soul? How goes it with your soul? And we sort of stole that phrase from the Quakers And sometimes instead of talking about our kids or instead of talking about our ministry, we just be honest with each other and we go, hey, how goes it with your soul? There was a time just before Jesus went to the cross, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Man, he was weary and he was burdened because he knew the cross was coming. And Matthew points out that Jesus said that he was sorrowful, troubled, and that his soul was overwhelmed to the point of death. And Jesus had a couple of friends, Peter, James, and John. And he asked them to pray for him about his soul. Can I just ask you guys, does anybody know the condition of your soul? Does anybody know? If you could self-diagnose the condition of your soul, if You could use three words. Jesus' words were sorrowful, troubled, and overwhelmed to the point of death. Pray for me. Pray for me, he said. If you could self-diagnose that central part of who you are, that that soul side of who you are, with three words, what, what would those three words be today, right now? Hurt, hopeful, light, easy, Worried, anxious. I'd love, just to, I'd love just to challenge you to tell someone today. Just one of those words. Would you just tell someone one of those words? Hey man, at church today, I heard this talk and this guy was telling me about the soul. And I just want you to know that my soul's weary. Would you, would you tell Someone today, just one word. Or if you're really courageous, would you tell God that one word? He already knows, but there's something about saying it. Or maybe in this moment, maybe you just want to come to the altar and respond and say, God, this is where I'm at. And maybe you just want to tell him. And so we're just going to have a minute or two of quiet 
just give you a chance to think about kind of what we talked about this morning. And if you'd like to respond to, to what we've shared, I invite you, if you want to respond by coming forward, if you need prayer, or if you want to go and find somebody that, that, that you're close to and just sit next to them and say, hey, would you just pray for me? Because that one, there's a couple things going on in my life that I'm struggling with. So I'll just give you a minute as uh, Matt plays a little bit. Just give you a minute to think and to respond. And then we'll pray together and we'll close this part of our worship. I'd love if everybody just bowed their heads just for a minute. One of the ways that we pray at our church sometimes is get everybody to bow their heads. And if you need me to pray for you, if there's just something that you need prayer for today, that in this moment, you just look up at me and let me catch your eyes and then you put your head down and, and I'll pray for you. I see you. I see you. I see you. He sees you. He sees you. He sees you. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He sees you. His power is made perfect in your weakness. He sees you. His grace is sufficient for you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your life and thank you for your love. Thank you for these people, your people, who, who desire to know you more and to make you known more. And Lord, I just pray that even today, even in this moment, they would recognize just who you are, how good you are, how great you are, that you love them as sinner and you love them as saint. Lord, thank you for thank you for this space that we can just come and contemplate. Pray that you would help us to be courageous enough to tell somebody where we're at. And maybe even to begin to journey a life together. It's not meant to be lived alone. Would you help us remember that, Lord, we pray. Jesus, thank you for who you are. We give you praise.